All right, Jesus, we just have one desire, and that is that you would be perceived. Make yourself audible, my love, tangible, sensible, so that they can come to know you in your precious name. Amen. So Michael Koulianos is one of my closest friends and one of my favorite human beings on the planet. I don't know another person like him. He carries such a revelation of Jesus that when I'm with him and I listen to him and I'm around him, there is a uh, like a an oil poured forth onto my life, an oil of love for Jesus. I just want to talk to him about a couple of things. First of all, Michael, thank you so much for taking time to come on. Oh, it's a joy, man. I love you so much, and it's a real privilege. Thanks for having me. So I know you've talked about this many times. I've traveled with you all over the U.S. and heard you talk on these very things that I'm going to talk to you about. But this phrase in Revelation chapter 2 that you know so well, that it comes from Jesus Christ, the Son of God, says this. And uh, verse 4 of chapter 2, he says, I have this against you. You have left your first love. What a wonderful reality that this phrase wasn't made by a man it was made by christ himself will you talk to us a little bit about what this is oh well if if i may just read verse five uh because the lord it lets us into the lord's perspective and how he views it how he views it the apprehension of first love and then how he views losing it. So he says, remember therefore from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. So losing first love is to lose the highest heights and apprehending and living in first love is to live in the highest heights. So there are certain things that would be like stumbling, you know, certain things would be minor, but the loss of first love in Jesus's eyes is not a stumble. It's a great fall. Wow. So that would be from the negative point of view, but the positive point of view would be to have it is to have everything and to live in first love is to live in the highest place. So the, the great crescendo of the Christian life is to have first love for Jesus, period. There's, there is no making up for it. There's no ministry endeavor that we can accomplish that he will accept in its place. There's no uh, church we can begin or event we can host or you can't lead 10 million people to Jesus tomorrow and make up for the loss of first love. So that being said, to lose first love is to lose everything. To gain first love is to have everything. Um, And so we, we, in, in loving Jesus, his his uh, heart, his desires, his uh, 
uh, yearnings, they, they, they are higher than our own. And so when you fall in love with him, you want to give him what he longs for. And when we ask ourselves this question, what does Jesus receive from Calvary? What is Jesus's reward for dying the death of the cross and on top of that being buried, which is such an amazing yielding. I mean, he literally yielded his life. Think of this for a moment. Jesus literally tasted death as fully God and fully man. So this is, this is incredible. Uh, and uh, the great identification that Jesus has with us in that, for instance, he's baptized in water. That was called the baptism of repentance. Well, the, did Jesus have anything to repent of? No. What was the motive in this baptism to identify with us? So Jesus has fully given himself to us. And I could go on literally for hours about him identifying with us on every front. Ultimately, this is love, that Jesus left heaven's beauty. He left the bosom of the Father. He left uh, 10,000s upon 10,000s of angels worshiping and adoring him to come to us. And this is, this is John 1, that the word has become flesh. It's, it's a, a view of Jesus from above, which I believe is the right way to look at him, the word becoming flesh. It actually adds a glory to him coming that, that like if, if I came to your house, that would be wonderful, but I'm of this world. I'm in my, I, I have my origin in the natural is, is I'm in Orlando. But when we think about the Lord God coming our way, this is the greatest act of love that the God of the cosmos would be born in a manger made for animals that he'd be wrapped in rags that were meant to clean them. So again, we'd start there at the incarnation and go for years, even now as he's ascended with wounds, mediating the covenant that he is, by the way, mediating the covenant that he himself is. So this is love. So what does Jesus get in return? What does he want? And I wonder, Eric, if we even stop to ask or think, you know, busyness has a way of busyness has a way of deafening us and blinding us, numbing us, because we never stop to ask, what is life all about? What is the Christian life? <laughs> I mean, isn't it natural for the bride to ask this question? What does Jesus want? Mm. And not only what does he want? But to take it a step further, what does he want most? Yeah, so imagine if you, if you had no idea what Brooke wanted and no idea of what she desired. It would be difficult to say that, at least from her end, that you deeply loved her. Mm -hmm. And so what does Jesus want from us? Because this is really what first love looks like. And when we discover the answer, uh, we know what to offer him. And the answer is he wants us. So Jesus receives us for dying the death, even the death of the cross. Some would say he receives the nations. True, but what are the nations? Mm -hmm. What are the nations but a people 
So Psalm 2, the Father says, ask of me and I'll give you the nations as your inheritance, speaking of his reward for his passion, death, and burial and resurrection. He's asking for people, and specifically love. And so first love looks like the entirety of our being. It is the first and great commandment to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and the other gospel adds strength. So that is that encompasses the entirety of who we are. After we after we look at heart, soul, mind, and strength, there's nothing left. Hmm. We have nothing left to give. That is all. And so first love is to love Jesus and to only love Jesus. And in my only loving Jesus, I love everyone around me with his love. Uh A dependency is birthed, realizing I really don't have any love outside of him and him loving me properly. I don't even know what love looks like. And so the second part of the first and great command, which is like it, not it, but which is like it, it's the result of loving Jesus is where we see the Great Commission fulfilled and everything else we do in the Christian life finds its source in this deep love. And we cannot love him without gazing upon and offering our hearts to his love, I believe, daily and hopefully beyond that constantly. Mm-hmm. Um, and, 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 and the way to gaze upon his love is, is to gaze upon the cross. Because it is the greatest demonstration. Of course, the parables are wonderful. The Sermon on the Mount is phenomenal. But today, there's a lamb in the midst of the throne who's still wounded. So rather than conquest, uh, heaven sees it differently. Uh, we, We speak of domain and dominion and all of these things. But we have to remember it's a wounded lamb. Yes. Who takes dominion. And... And John introduces Jesus as the lamb who takes away the sins of the world. Then he introduces him as the one who baptizes us into the Holy Spirit and fire, speaking of his ability to purify us in that order. And we see the same, we see the same with the children of Israel. They feast on the lamb in Exodus chapter 12. They're delivered while still chewing. Uh, they follow the same uh, the same one who appeared in the burning bush in a cloud. He takes them through the waters of baptism. He hits reverse, in a sense, with his presence and baptizes the whole nation, which is the size of Orlando, three million people, into his presence and then reveals himself as the one who would heal them. But it all begins with, I am the lamb who will deliver you. And then he seals the covenant with them and marries the nation. So it's unto a marriage. So Every this thing began there and it will ultimately end there. And loving Jesus is the only reason to live, and it is absolutely life's uh, greatest achievement to love the Lord. That's tremendous. I pulled a quote here connected to the scripture that, that I'm going to look at with you. First, first Corinthians chapter 15 says, Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preached to you which also you received, in which also you stand, and by which you also are saved, if you hold fast the word which I preach to you, unless you believe in vain. Now, this is what I want to talk to you about. For I delivered to you as of first importance, dot, 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 that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, 
and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. I'd love it if you talk to me a little bit about the significance of Jesus dying, being buried, and resurrected. But before you do, listen to this quote from Charles Spurgeon. He says, the resurrection is the cornerstone of the entire building of Christianity. It is the keystone of the ark of our salvation. It would take a volume to set forth all the streams of living water which flow from this one sacred source, the resurrection of our dear Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. But to know that he has risen and to have fellowship with him as such, communing with the risen Savior, possessing risen life, seeing him leave the tomb by leaving the tomb of our worldliness. This is even still more precious. The doctrine is the basis of the experience. But as the flower is more lovely than the root, so is the experience of fellowship with the risen Savior more lovely than the doctrine itself. <laughs> so we you you'd like me to say something <laughs> after that. Will you, will you talk a little bit about the resurrection of Jesus and his death and its significance for us? I have to speak after the Prince of Preachers. Wow. Thanks for the blessing. Um, the resurrection. Well, as uh, Charles Spurgeon said, you could speak forever about the resurrection. I actually uh, have a book coming on the resurrection or on Easter. So it's, very near to my heart and something we grew up celebrating, not really knowing what we were celebrating as little kids really beautifully on the Saturday night of the strike of Easter. Well, beginning, uh, we can start with the resurrection being the vindication of the Lord. As Isaiah writes in Isaiah 53, we esteemed him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. So here we see man's perspective. Man's perspective was Jesus is a criminal. He died because, not because he became our sin, but because uh, of his sin. That was the fallen perspective. And so Isaiah writes beautifully, we esteemed him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. And then all of the sudden, he changes the whole flow of the scripture and realigns us. And he says, but he was wounded for our transgressions. So all of a sudden, Isaiah points to the truth of why Jesus died, not because of his sin, but because of our sin. And the scripture teaches us that the resurrection declared his perfection. For instance, the scripture teaches that from dust you've come and to dust you must return. Speaking of incorruption or corruption, I should say. And uh, so if the body of Jesus corrupts in the ground, then he is not the sinless, perfect God-man. Uh, another example, if he stays in the tomb, he yeah, sin is holding him. So there's an ancient uh, church prayer, I love this, that uh, uh, the, the, the lion of death believed he was swallowing a man only to discover he was swallowing God himself. So, so think of the analogy, the picture of this. So death and Jesus slips into the grave through, uh, through the stairway of lowliness. Mm. He, 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 he uses humility to secretly enter wow. uh, what no man could plunder, 
what no man could defeat, this, this pit of death. And so he moves into the grave through yieldedness to the Lord, as Philippians 2 teaches us. And he goes as low as possible. And Ephesians teaches us that he ascended, also descended so to the lowest parts of the earth. So it's impossible to go lower. A student asked me yesterday uh, at Jesus School, what do I do in transition? I know I'm in transition. What do I do? And I said, you've got to go low. Every time you must humble yourself. So every time Jesus transitions, not in his nature, but in a new um, and a new demonstration of his nature. For instance, um, he goes into the waters of baptism as the pattern beloved son. He goes low into the water. He's baptized by John, his own cousin, whose breath he held in his hand. And even John understood um, something doesn't feel like I don't feel comfortable doing this. I know who you are, in other words. And Jesus said, for righteousness sake, let's do this. Speaking of him going low and identifying his men. And then we see all these transitions, the Last Supper, where Jesus is moving here uh, in, in demonstration, again, not in nature. He's, he's wanting to show the disciples that he's more than rabbi and teacher and healer and preacher. Now he's going to be servant before them and, and not, not just wash their feet, but wear the cloak of the yeah. servant. So it's one thing to stack chairs and serve, it's another to stack chairs as a servant. It's another to scrub a toilet as a servant. It's different than scrubbing a toilet to get ahead. It's a nature issue. So Jesus is saying, I'm gonna wear this. And we see this transition now as he moves. The next phase is really moves into Gethsemane and bleeds. And there's a shedding of blood taking forth and the sacrifice begins to be offered. And Gethsemane is another marker where he goes low again and moves into a deeper realm in his passion and offers his back and his brow and his face and he's spat upon and ultimately nailed. So you see this before these promotions or transitions, he, he goes low. And so we see this absolutely in the resurrection that Jesus, the resurrection is the most glorious event in the history of the universe. So what precedes this glorious event? Jesus, through humility and surrender to his father, he spread his arms, gave up his life, yielded it, and literally shut his eyes and tasted death. He slips into to the tomb. And, and almost as an undercover, perfect God-man begins to plunder death for three days. Now, we don't know exactly what happened. Uh, we have clues. Psalm 24 talks about ancient gates, everlasting doors being open, uh, and everything that that would have entailed. But still, we don't have a whole lot of detail. But ultimately, the resurrection not only tells the world that he's our resurrection, it tells the world that Jesus Christ is perfect, that he is perfect, that he is complete, that he is without sin. And if you remove the resurrection, the blood has no power. The sanctity, the, the perfection of the blood depends on Jesus's perfection. And the resurrection says he is perfect. And so what does that mean for us? It means that we don't fear death. It means that we have a hope that's not of the world. We don't sorrow as the world. It also means that I have fellowship now with the Lord. The resurrection obviously precedes the great coming of the Spirit. 
he's my resurrection and the new birth and my body becomes his home. So Spurgeon's <laughs> right. I mean, we can go on for millennia. And, and the thing is, Eric, I, I honestly believe this. If you think about heaven and like, what, what will we be doing? The majesty of the resurrected incarnate God is going to so strike at our wonder that we are going to spend eternity looking (laughs) and stuck in wonder. It's, and the angels do the same. They, they have never known the likes of what the Lord has accomplished in his incarnation, death, and resurrection. And that's why it's, it's a bit comical is the wrong word because that wouldn't be like honoring enough. But I do see the sense of humor in the Lord. I mean, the Lord goes up at his ascension 40 days after his resurrection in a body. And he's climbing. He's literally ascending, like <laughs> increasing in altitude. And his disciples and the cloud of the Spirit is carrying him home, which makes perfect sense. The same cloud that filled the tabernacle and led Israel and filled Solomon's temple and came upon him and covered Tabor is now the Mount of Transfiguration. Is carrying him home. And they're watching. And the angels say, hey, why do you stare up into heaven? <laughs> I would have said, why am I looking up into heaven right now? <laughs> uh, because, let me tell you why. Because the God of all the ages has wrapped himself in flesh and he just sat up from a tomb and the saints of old came up with him and they're walking around our hometown. They've been dead 800 years and they're knocking on our doors. And now he's flying through the air (laughs) until we can't see him anymore. And the spirit himself is faithful, wonderful. Third person of the Trinity is carrying him back as his faithful, faithful, faithful spirit. That's why. (laughs) (laughs) I just thought I was thinking about that the other day. I I could just see Peter going, "Um, what did you say? Why are we looking up into heaven? Because he just went into heaven and we saw it with our own eyes. The resurrection is uh, it's our, it's not just our victory. It's heaven's victory. Uh, it's, there is nothing like it. When will the, your book come out? We're pushing for Easter. I have to do the 20,000 word edit today, but you know. Well, yeah. Well, yeah. As we, as we close out here, this is what I'd love for you to do. There are all kinds of people watching this channel. There's teenagers that watch this, college students, singles. All people. All kinds, mothers, fathers that work all day long. There's blue-collar workers and also, you know, people doing construction, maybe even somebody. Short people. Short people, tall people. Yeah, amazing. (laughs) If you could look at them in their eyes and tell them something, what would you say to them? I would tell you to... Um, well, first I would want you to know that Jesus loves you so much and 
he sees you right now. He hears the sound of your voice. He, the Bible says, has he, who formed, has he who formed the eye, can he not see you? Has he who planted the ear, can he not hear you? He, he knows you, and he knew you before you were in your mother's womb. And I would want to tell you that there's nobody like Jesus. There's nobody who even comes close. There's no one as full. There's no one else who is satisfaction, let alone satisfy us. Nobody else really makes us happy. And because of that, because of his amazing, beautiful majesty, my advice to you would be to stop what you're doing and simply give him your attention and and give your undivided attention actually to his presence that is there with you. Hopefully you feel his presence right now. And I would invite you to make that uh, your life that you would continually as often as you possibly can give the Lord your loving affection. I would encourage you to listen to his voice and say yes even if it feels like a blind yes or painful yes. And in giving your affection to him and walking with him and yielding to him, he'll continue to give more of himself to you. Mm-hmm. And that relationship will increase. And I would love for you to know that if you belong to Jesus, you're more than just a Christian by title that you're betrothed to the Lord, Hmm. that there is a loving bridegroom coming back for his bride, and that the Father is excited to give her to him. Hmm. And I would love for you to be part of that bride. And there is no person, there is no thing that satisfies the heart like Jesus himself. Will you just pray for us as we close? Sure. Yeah. Lord, you love us so wonderfully and so faithfully. And you've given yourself to us in a way that we can only attempt to understand. And we want to thank you for that, for giving yourself to us. And Lord, I pray, wonderful Holy Spirit, that you would come upon us all and teach us to love Jesus, that you teach us to give ourselves away without thought, Lord, that we would think less and offer ourselves more that it would take less time for us to give ourselves to you, to give our affection to you. So Holy Spirit, I'm asking you to do this by your kindness and your mercy. Just reveal Jesus to everyone watching and listening. Reveal Jesus to Eric and myself in a a new way, with, with new passion, with less hesitation. 
and that you'd find a, a resting place in our hearts, that you would come our way and be loved. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you again, bro, for doing this. Mm.